We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Uh Uh-huh. Michael's back. Oh, 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 oh. You know it's my favorite hour, right? (laughs) So many of you come to me when I meet you and, and you always say, I love that Michael show, that mom and Michael show. So thank you for listening and thank you for supporting my son and I. I love this hour. All right, Michael. It's so good to have you back on, honey. How you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm missing you terribly. When you were here for 10 days, I cannot tell you. Uh, It was just so hard. It was really hard. You know, you drive away from the airport, you go home, you settle in, and all of a sudden tears. It's just like, oh, man. But I'm happy to hear from you almost every day. And, you know, we get to talk and we get to reminisce about life and growing up and all of that. It's just been wonderful. Um, As you find yourself, I mean, you're, what, 15 years in in California? 16 plus, actually, yeah, it's called 16 years here. Wow, 16 plus. You know, I used to always remind you about earthquakes, and of course you've heard about the Haiti, um, the second big one that hit. It's just awful, and this is the second major earthquake. And I'm just wondering, have you thought about California? Are you worried at all? I mean, have I thought about it? Most definitely. I mean, here here in L.A. and and in any area where where there are often earthquakes, we think about it all the time. Uh, you can't not think about it. In fact, just earlier, I, w- I was working on the computer, and I felt like I was rocking and moving a little bit. And the first thing I, I, I do is, is I, I look up. I have these, like, um, kind of contemporary lights that hang f- from, from a wire, and there's five of them in a circle. So whenever I feel like there might be an earthquake, I look up and see if the lights are moving, which they were. And then I check the, 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 the clothes hanging in the hallway, which we have to dry or, or to disinfect from COVID. And I checked the plants, and if the plants and the clothes aren't moving, but the lamp is, it might have just been a truck going by. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if the, if the this is a new moving, building. Come on. <laughs> well, but it's new, but but since since we do live in earthquake country, all the buildings are built out of wood here. I mean, the, the if there's parking underneath, the foundation is concrete, but all the floors above that are all wood. The whole point is that they do shake and sway, you know. So. Our buildings move a lot because they're supposed to. That's, that's, what, that's what keeps them standing when there is an earthquake. So if a large enough truck goes by your street and you're in, in, a, in a new building or a building on rollers, yeah, you're going to feel it. Uh, so if the lights are moving but the clothes aren't moving and the uh, flowers aren't moving, then I know it must have just been a lamp or something like that, But which, you know, they weren't, so it must have been that. Uh, but you know what? I didn't actually go check to see if there was a small earthquake here. But to answer your question... We think about it when, when, when we feel something, but uh, to live here, you have to be aware that it could happen at any moment and also just 
never think about it because if you really thought about it and really thought about what that means, uh, the, the the reality of that is too devastating to actually allow you to function. I mean, it's crippling to really think about what it means to have a big earthquake hit when you're here. So uh, we just, you know, proceed with our lives as if uh, that's not going to happen. And then when it does hit, we try to respond accordingly. And of course, we can't forget the time I was talking to you live on air and an earthquake hit. <laughs> here I remember it well. California. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. uh, terrifying. a very bizarre moment. It was, uh, yeah, it was, I think, more terrifying for you because you didn't, didn't know what was going on for me. I didn't know what was going on. You know what you kept saying to me? Mom, mm-hmm. wait. I kept saying, honey, what's wrong? Mom, wait. Just wait. And that was maddening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know what's going on. And all you could say was, wait. Uh, and then you finally said that was an earthquake. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I wanted to break into tears, but I needed to be strong, Right. So, yeah, you live in L.A., and I, I, I know we have earthquakes in L.A. I get it. Mm-hmm. But isn't this the right time, Michael, for you to put together the oh, earthquake back, backpack that I bought you? You still have the backpack, right? No, I think – actually, you know what? I think the, the actual the, – the bag that you got me for my earthquake bag is somewhere in storage. But, you know, I will say we do have more – earthquake uh, pieces of, of things that would go in the bag we now have in the apartment in various stores because of COVID. Um, because there was, there, was, there was this mad rush, of course, at the beginning of COVID to get supplies because we assumed that things would run out. So I now have all sorts of things here that I didn't have before, uh, very much in stock. Uh, so assuming the building is still standing, we actually have more supplies now than we would have before. But wait a minute. If they're not in a bag, what good is that? I mean, do you have a medical little small medical pack to, you know, disinfect and, and you know, I can't even talk. You know, just to have some aspirin in it or um, if I say things yes, you need. What will make you happy? Honey, <laughs> no, I'll buy you one. No, I'll I mean, I, I do you. think we, we might. Do we have a small first aid kit? We might. But, you know, you, you make this point always, and you are always correct. We do need to put together an actual earthquake, earthquake kit. Uh, of course, they sell them. And the last time we had a major earthquake, I think there was two back-to-back, both closer to Palm Springs. Right. Uh, and, and you and I spoke. I did go out to the stores to get a flashlight and an earthquake kit. Of course, everything was sold out. Sold out. And I think, I think I actually sent you a picture of the, uh, earth, uh, I'm sorry, of the flashlight section in Target. And it was completely empty. empty. Every yeah. single flashlight was sold out because that's what usually wakes us up is when an earthquake hits and we all go, oh, right. We live in a place that has these things, and a few of us are actually prepared for it. So everyone rushes out and buys all these things or pulls them out of storage and, you know, has it nearby. So uh, you're right. As always, I need to go ahead and uh, try to get that set up. I'm not concerned about the flashlight. You have silver shoes. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, you have really bright silver shoes which I've been wearing all summer long. I've been wearing my rainbow camouflage shirt all summer long. People thought I was kidding. They're like, oh, I love your shirt. I love your shoes. And I was like, yep, I'll thank you so much. I've been wearing it all summer. And then they see me like a month later. Oh, you're still wearing those shoes. I'm like, yes, I am. My <laughs> gosh. I paid for them. And here's, here's my thing. Back in the day, I used to buy certain nice things, clothing that is, and say, oh, I shouldn't wear this too much. I can't get this damaged. You know, this is a really nice piece. I want to wear it sparingly. I don't believe in that anymore. I feel like if you pay a bunch of money for something for, for something and you like it, you should wear it 
all the time. But by the time the season in which that item was in fashion is over, it should be so torn up from use and enjoyment that you couldn't wear it again anyway. Because in most cases, you aren't going to wear it again. You know, I highly doubt next summer's bright, shiny silver shoes are going to be in vogue here in Los Angeles. So, you know, if, if you buy shoes that you can't dance in, what's the point? Uh, and I have danced in those shoes, and they have scratches on them already. I just wipe them clean and keep going because they're shoes. That's what you're supposed to do with them. But they're flashlights, they're mirrors, you know. Multi-purpose. <laughs> they could probably burn through, you know, a door that's locked because of, you know, something was crooked in the building or something you couldn't get out. It could probably be like a welding machine, both Maybe. shoes together. Maybe. If, if only and, there were shoes. And you could probably call Wonder Woman, too. With those you shoes. know, she she lives in my building actually. So yeah, oh. I'll just uh, hit her up <laughs> and uh, she'll help me out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, honey. <laughs> I shouldn't talk about your shoes. You love your shoes. Cortland was over here earlier. We were talking about those shoes. He loves yeah. those shoes. I don't get it. You, you don't know. get it. You said you like them when, when you. I do like them. Person. No, no, no. I do like them. I I love the the way they look and they're really unique. I get that. I'm just saying, you know, you need a flashlight. You need, you know, certain things a, a little tool kit and a first aid kit for earthquakes and towels. A couple of hand towels and, you know, food. You know, like um, well, two bottled waters and some granola I, I bars and. I, I not only have a flashlight, I have a flashlight that's also a radio and has a crank charger on the side so we can charge our phones with a flashlight. To me, oh, that's the single one of those? most important thing. Yeah, single most so that you can have somebody talking to you, or what are you saying? No, no. Well, yeah, because you know, our, we, we are so dependent on our phones. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Joey and I both don't, there's no landline here. Our cell phones are our phone. And not that all the towers are going to work in, in an emergency, but you can often get a text to go through in an emergency. So uh, that little flashlight that has a crank and then has a, a USB phone charger on it, to me, is, is wildly important. At the very minimum, I can text you and say, hey, I'm all right, you know? Uh, right. And if my phone battery dies, I have something that I can hear, you know, the news on the radio and still charge our phone. So that's the most important one. And, and trust me, when those last two earthquakes hit, I moved that I, I moved the crank flashlight right next to the bed. But, again, we go through those waves. And then there isn't a major quake for a while, and we put everything back in the drawers. And, and, and I would feel bad about that word, not for the fact that that kind of uh, complacency, if you will, that easing back into our norms and not being uh, on our P's and Q's uh, about, about earthquakes is exactly how we live here. Because if you stay you know, at the ready tense, you know, what, worrying about the next one, you, you wouldn't survive here. You have to put it in the back of your head to really be able to function in Los Angeles. It is so true, Michael. And you can always send me one of those silver shoes and we can talk. You know, we won't need, we won't need. <laughs> you know, I'm only kidding. You Have you seen? Can I interject Wait a minute. here? Wait a minute. Is it, Wait. Is it something, is it a, a sense of pride that you wear something, Michael, on your feet that could be used as some sort of plot for Dr. Evil in an Austin Powers movie? Absolutely. That was the idea. You know, if, if, if you spend that much money, you should look like a supervillain. Because if you don't, you aren't. No, how about a. No, villains? That's why no. Wonder Woman moved in. Oh, my God. My son needs she Jesus all over him. again. Look, here's the thing. This is what I haven't told you, Michael. I have a pair of silver shoes. Do you remember my silver shoes with the pointed, pointed, pointed? 
uh, front part, and then in the back, it's a really high three and a half or four inch heel. Do you remember those? I called them man killers. No, no, no. You used to see me in those shoes. I called them man killers. I wasn't looking for anyone to kill, but I really did love those shoes, and I still have them, or at least one of them. What is the other one stuck in the back of somebody's mind? I mean, what, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you, have you have one? two silver shoes and I have one. Jonathan may need one. I'll give Jonathan my, my pump. Exactly. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> what we're going so to use ready. is the silver shoes, <laughs> Mr. Powers. Can we just go back to my joke about being a, a villain, and that's why Wonder, Wonder Woman moved in? That was a good callback to the original Wonder, Wonder Woman joke. I was just, I was, I was proud of that. I didn't hear it because I said, you know, I, that, that, that I, I look like a supervillain, and you were like a villain. I was like, yes, that's why Wonder Woman moved in, and then there was silence, and I just felt like <laughs> there wasn't strong enough appreciation for the quickness of that joke. No, I'm your mama so was calling Jesus at that time to come and save That's you. true. That's that's true. That's absolutely it. I'm like, oh, villains. My son don't know about Jesus anymore. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michael, let's um do we have time, Jonathan? We have to take a break or can we move on? Let's break. Oh gosh, Michael, he's telling us what to do again. Okay, we're gonna take a break for a moment and come right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is now 1023 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to the Mom and Michael Hour with my son, Michael Battle, all the way from Los Angeles, as well as Jonathan Lowe, our in-studio producer, and so much more. He always chimes in during this hour as well. It's amazing, though, Michael, as we talk about your time in California and your style and that sort of thing. I remember stores that we went to years ago that are still standing at the um, at some of the malls. And so... I love that you love where you are, but I, I wonder if you still think back on magic. You know, the magic you used to be a magician, and you still are, um, but you used to do shows all over uh, L.A. proper, and even further than that, we went to San Diego for a Jewish uh, celebration with their children. I can't oh, remember what it was called. Do you right. remember? Do you remember you know, that I one? forgot about that show. It was an Orthodox Jewish like convention at this, uh, right. in San Diego at one of the hotels, and it was a friend of one of the magic show owners uh, here in Los Angeles hired him for the show, but he does more close-up and parlor. And he invited me to do kind of the, the big stage portion of the show. And I didn't really know much of, of what, what it was, but, man, that was cool. And, and I found out that one of the coats that I wear in my act is actually a Orthodox Jewish wedding jacket. 
Um, and, and they right. told me what it was and how to pronounce it in, in Hebrew. And I was like, oh, and I said, am I offending anyone by wearing this? They said no. And, you know, I pulled it back and wore it differently. But that was a very cool show. It was just cool to meet, you know, people my age who uh, you know, had surely never seen uh, an, an African-American magician before. So it was just cool to connect with, with new cultures, you know. It but, was so funny to see some of the children walk past you like, like, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, but I'm staring, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> stare at me, yeah. You know, it the adults really and cool. it was very cool. The people were so kind and, you know, they were so happy that you were there. And you really did bring that magic back to the eyes of the children. They just loved all of the things that you did there. So um, I, I loved hearing you talk about just the other day we were talking and you said, Mom, I'm going back to the Magic Castle, which hasn't been open for, what, the whole year and a half since the pandemic well, started? So, so I went back for the for the opening weekend, which is a bit different because uh, with the Magic Castle, you know, it's a, it's a private club for four magicians. It, it, it's an old Victorian mansion in, in the Hollywood Hills, and you go in there, and there's a strict dress code. You wear, you know, men uh, are in a full suit and tie, ladies in cocktail dresses or business suits. Uh, very strict dress code. You go in. There's five bars inside. You hang out. You have a drink. You see a close-up show, and then you eat dinner. And, and then with dinner, you get tickets to the Palace of Mystery, which is the main showroom. You see the main show, you come out of there, and then there's other smaller shows to see thereafter. And you could just hang out all night long seeing, you know, small impromptu shows, larger scheduled shows, you're just having drinks with your friends. Uh, that's the environment. So when they first opened, I think about, I don't know, two months ago, um, yeah. you could go in, but you went in, you got there right before, before dinner, you ate dinner, went to the Palace of Mystery, saw a, a recorded show that played on the screen, and then left. You couldn't hang out, you know. So uh, I actually went Friday night, and that's my first time going back since they have fully reopened where you can get there early and hang out, as I, as I just described. So it it felt the closest to what it had been in, in the before times uh, since they reopened. It was great. They checked all, all, all the vaccine cards or, or, or negative COVID tests uh, when checking in. And we got there early and had drinks and had dinner. And I, I saw Victor and Victor and Diamond, uh, African-American couple who do stage magic. Um, and they were just stellar, absolutely incredible. I gave them a standing ovation. But also, it was my first time being back at the castle when they have live magic. And it was just, I mean, cliche word, but it was magical. It was absolutely wonderful to be back in that place seeing friends, seeing those acts, uh, just marveling at the extraordinary skill. And in some cases, seeing effects that I actually didn't know how they did them. Uh, some really cool work being done on stage. Even, even the comedy magic on stage was side-splitting. We were all laughing. Had a great time. And kind of to answer your question, yes, every time I go back and experience that, that magic, that, that inspiration, it very much gets me thinking again. I kind of go, I have to find a way to do more of that, you know? I love being around it. I love seeing it. I love performing magic. So, you know, we, we all get so busy in our lives, and those of us who are fortunate enough to be employed, it's very easy to get wrapped up in our jobs and, you know, trying to just pay bills and save and, and, and plan for the future. But we still have to find space to do what we actually enjoy, in my case, and to, you know, uh, perform somewhere and, and, and explore those other sides of ourselves. You know, that's well said. And by the way, I'm stuck on one thing, and uh, I'm going to move forward in the conversation, but I'm stuck. You said, I gave uh, a standing ovation. What does that mean, that no one else gave a standing ovation? A couple others did, but normally no one gives standing ovations at the Magic Castle because it's a very small venue. Even the main stage, you know, there's just not enough people to really allow for that. And if you stand up, you're going to block the view of someone behind you. So it's just, 
it is never um, it, it is not normal to see a standing ovation. I think I've seen a small handful of times. So I jumped to my feet, and then a few others joined me because I kind of gave people permission to say, yeah, we're doing this because that show was amazing. <laughs> but normally everyone tries to be courteous of those behind them and not stand up. Do you miss it? All of it, yes. I miss yeah. being on that stage, headlining the Palace of Mystery. I miss just you know, getting up there and wearing all the wild costumes and just kind of getting to be in your element and be yourself. And for me, you know, magic has never been about, you know, the, the, the love of fooling someone. That's never what really drove me to, like, oh, I fooled you. It was the theatricality of it, the grandeur of it all, turning into a character, becoming someone else on stage and just providing an experience. So if someone sees my act and goes, oh, that was beautiful. That's, for me, the highest compliment, I, as opposed to someone saying, oh, I have no idea how you did that thing. That's fun. I enjoyed that. But I like when they feel like they saw, saw something unique and were taken to a different place and watching me perform on stage. Yeah, you said that a lot of the adults start to feel like they're children again, you know. I remember yeah. how you used to say that. Yeah. That's the um, point, you know. It is the point. And so, Michael... Um, it has has the sun set on you as a magician, or do you think you'll get back no. to it? Because I look at people, you know, that it was their vocation. It's what they did. They loved it. It was what they were they were making money, like um, Arsenio Hall and David Letterman and others, right, that were just incredible um, magicians. And then all of a sudden the sun sets on that. It's over with, and they go do something else. Or, you know, every now and then David Letterman will bring it out on his show and do a little bit. But... You loved it, absolutely loved it, and loved being a member. You're still a member of the Magic Castle. So I'm just curious, do you think that same joy and love for Magic will ever come back to you? It, it never left. It's still there. and I think. But as a magician. But even, even then, it's still there. I still love doing it. It's just, I think most of us who, who transition from that being our profession into something else, it's purely financial. You know, if I won the lottery, I would promptly quit my job and just go make content and, and do magic and make film and TV. That's what I would be doing. Um, right. But, you know, like the names you just listed, who are far more su- successful than I am, you kind of have to find your career path to make a way. And if you want to really make those dollars and hit the highest heights, it's often not in magic as, as a profession, just because there are very few pathways to that level of success besides being being David Copperfield, you know, or Lance Burton, or so one of the really big names out there. Um, but yeah, I still love it. I just, you know, I, it's easier to forget about that the fire I have for magic, the, the the love for it, because again, we get caught up in our jobs and our daily life, uh, which is why I have to go back to the Magic Castle more to be reminded, at the very least, how much I enjoy uh, viewing and being around the magic world. And it looks like we may have to uh, send this to break right now. So, Michael, if you can yeah. hold on, uh, looks like we have the one those wonderful technical difficulties that we have every so often. So, uh, Michael, hold on. We'll get back to the Mom and Michael Hour here coming up in a few minutes on Steel Talking. Welcome back to the Mom and Michael Hour as we wrap up this half hour. My son and I have such a great time, and Jonathan Lowe is the other voice that you hear from time to time. And, Jonathan, thank you for jumping right in with the weather. Had a little glitch once again. I don't quite understand it. Technology. I've done all I can do. I it's, don't get it. It's wonderful, but at yeah, the same time. Ah, yeah, but you're not screaming. I'm the one screaming. So, 
Oh, trust here me, I'm are. doing a lot of screaming myself in here. Oh, okay, okay. Well, there you go. So, Michael. Yes. Hey, he's there. There you are. You know, I wanted to know how how are songs decided for movies. You know, your Aunt Javita had a big hit with uh, Calling You from the movie um, Baghdad Cafe. I was fortunate to have a song um, on, I think, two songs on a Prairie Home Companion um, soundtrack, which was great. And I'm just wondering, how are songs decided for movies? Do they do they write the music while they're writing the 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 screenwriter is writing the piece, or how does that work? Well, it depends on the kind of film. So if it's a, a, a musical, obviously there's there's songs that, that are going to be throughout the film that are usually plot pertinent. Those will all have to be picked before the film is ever made because what are the actors going to lip sync and dance to while they're being filmed on set? So usually, um, if it's a film like um, what's the This Is Me. Never enough. Oh, oh, the greatest showman. Greatest showman. Okay, so yeah. that's a musical, and so all those songs had to be written and recorded before they ever filmed the scene of that movie, um, because again, they have to know what the actors are going to lip sync to, and obviously they aren't they aren't going to catch those vocals live on set for a film like that that's being done in in modern times. Um, uh, music supervisors uh, are the people that will pick songs that are added to a film thereafter. So if it isn't an original song written written for the film, and after the fact they want to add songs in the film as kind of part of, uh, an addition to the film's score itself, as in the orchestration versus the songs with lyrics, um, they're the people that are going to go through and select all of that. And often people who do that job are, are DJs, and by DJs I mean people who have a really deep knowledge of music, and a filmmaker will come to, come to them and say, hey, I want to convey this emotion, can you find me some... Um, uh, you know, unheard song by some artist with a voice that represents this, and that person will say, "Yeah, here are some options," and they'll pick a song that really encapsulates the emotion they want for that moment. Um, and then, of course, there's the film score, which you know we we, we, all, we all know the big names who win all the Oscars every year, John Howard, uh, etc., um, who score all these big films, and that that's the, the orchestration we're used to hearing. Of course, there are strong themes in the orchestra that we all know quite well. We can you know probably hum the orchestration behind big names like Jaws, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Star Trek. You know, we, we know what those themes sound like, and we're used to hearing a rousing score by an orchestra, especially for a big tentpole blockbuster film. Um, but sometimes, of course, the score is very quiet and subdued and eerie. Uh, it just, just depends on what the filmmaker wants to add. But in the case of the score, that also is done after the film is is complete. Sometimes with a really big film, um, they will give the the, the the conductor, rather, sorry, the um, orchestrator, the, the composer, there's the word, thank you, the composer <laughs> of the score, they'll give the composer, you know, she'll have uh, one big section. Like if they finish the, uh, the rough cut of the first piece, they might, they might say, here, you can start on this. And, you know, she'll already have whatever themes uh, she wants in place. But usually all of that is done after the film is completely filmed, edited, and locked, the locked cut, as they call it. And then the score and any songs added either in the film or during the credits all are added later on. Okay, so then are there any movies made today with no music in them at all? They're super rare because obviously, you know, the, the, the music, the score especially, helps you kind of believe in what's happening on screen and, and, and helps enhance the emotion or whatever the filmmaker is trying to show you. 
But some movies want to use silence, you know, the absence of a score to intensify what's happening on the screen. So um, No Country for Old Men has very, very sparse score throughout, if any. Um, Hitchcock's The Birds has no score at all. Um, the Blair Witch Project has no score at all. You know, those are films that, that, that are trying to convey just a, a completely different tone where it was, it, they wanted to feel real in your face and especially scary because of how real it feels. And the absence of the score makes it feel less fantastical and more, uh, you know, grounded in reality. Um, so there's, there's several other films like that, but they're usually that. They're, they're usually someone trying to make a point, trying to... Um, produce a different feeling and vibe, trying to do something very artsy. Uh, but for the, for the vast majority of films, there's going to be a score because it just enhances whatever's happening visually on screen. I wonder how those movies did without having a soundtrack or a score. I'm just curious. I mean, the, the, those, those three examples are all big movies. I mean, The Birds. They were. Insanely famous film. Um, and, and Blair Witch was one of the biggest. Blair Witch. Gigantic. Remember, it only cost like $15,000 to make it, and it made something like half a billion or something like that? It was huge. Even and that... not until Paranormal Activity 1 did uh, was the record broken on the highest, most profitable film ever. Blair Witch held that for years and years and years. So clearly, the choice not, not to have a score on that movie did a great job. And I'll add, I have never seen The Blair Witch Project. Neither have I, and neither will I. <laughs> <laughs> You you would normally watch it, but I just all these years I was too scared to watch it back in the day because I like you I, I don't really like horror films or even films that are just too scary. But I've always been intrigued about watching it. So one of these days, you know, bright and early on, on, on a weekend more morning when I have time to go do other things afterwards, I might watch it just to see what it what what all the talk was about all these years later. Okay, in 2020, they said that uh, the film, which eventually grossed a quarter billion dollars worldwide, so okay, half a billion was a bit much, but it it grossed a quarter billion dollars worldwide and was filmed for a minuscule $60,000. I thought it was 15000 that they spent on it, but according to the New York Times, it was 60000 I mean, and and this meant that the actors only, yeah, right, but the actors only got $1,000 for every day of work on the eighth, on the eight-day shoot. Because they didn't have any back-end points. But I can tell you who got paid. The producers, the director, and the studio just got paid enormous amounts of money. Whoever had a, a, a significant portion of the back-end points on that deal never has to work again. Wow. That is remarkable. And have we seen any movies like that now, today? In terms of films with no score? With Well, a film like Blair Witch Project. Wasn't there Blair Witch 2? Oh, so, so Blair Witch uh, made popular, again, the whole found footage thing. That, that, that was right. really the first one and then you know, the past probably 30 years that made that popular. After Blair Witch, there's been a slew of films like that. The Fourth Kind, Paranormal Activity, one through, what are they on, 15 now? Blair Witch 2. There's been all kinds of films. Even uh, The Conjuring has sections, I think, of that film that are kind of playing into that. But found footage became the 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 way to go. If you want to scare people, you go with found footage. Um, there was an, another one about four kids in Arizona who went looking for aliens and disappear. I think I forgot what that's called, but that that was that's been uh, done way too many times. I, I definitely don't mm-hmm. need to see any more found footage uh, films. 
so yeah, lots of those, but now I feel like uh, other films are le- leaning more into the more, more classic way of trying to thrill audiences. Wow. You and I have talked many times about horror films and how they don't spend a lot of money on them, but they make a lot of money on them. Sometimes they make a lot. Sometimes they bomb. But because they don't spend a lot, to your point, if you only spent $4 million, the film only makes $15, you are still making profit. So uh, ergo, Blumhouse is a huge company that does incredibly well, not just because of the really huge hits they've had, but also because of their mid-level hits that are still adding to their profit margins. I read that Blair Witch Project had no witch in it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really? What the heck? Alert. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I read that. I read that. You know, if that's a spoiler alert, when did that movie come out? Come on. But when did no, it come out? Seen it. I haven't seen it. I might watch it now that we're talking. Oh, about please! It. You're never gonna watch it. I mean, that, I, I can watch that came it out in 1999. Wow, that long ago? Yeah. Gee. Yep, that long ago. I was, wow. I was, that was my freshman, either my freshman or going into my sophomore year of college, yeah. Wow. I remember, I remember the buzz well, around it. It was just so much buzz around that movie that it, you couldn't help but at least see an initial boost of money going into that film. It was just so much, so much buzz about it. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> <laughs> so we got three of us. Three of us, man. And now one of us has seen it. All right. <laughs> Are you going to be the first? I might have to now because we, we all sound so knowledgeable. Jonathan, was, I was very convinced. He was like, yeah, I was there. Opening weekend. Everyone <laughs> saw it. Did you? No. Didn't see it. But everybody else did. You he stood help. outside eating popcorn, did you? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, you, just, you couldn't help. Everyone had to see it, but not me. Oh, that is too funny, you guys. That's really funny. Well, I have to tell you, when it comes to movies, I am actually going to try to go back into the movie theaters uh, if it, you know, stays open, which I believe it will. And um, I do want to go see movies again. I want to have that whole experience with the grandbabies, you know. Um, And by the way, that second or third movie that was about Boss Baby. Yes, Boss Baby. That's some really, it's huge. But it's so Dumb. I, you know, he doesn't look like a baby except in the first movie. And by the time you get midway through, he looks like a man, man. But I mean, it's it's so dumb that you're talking about it. So mission accomplished. Uh, uh, you know, a full adult is talking about a kid movie and is thinking of going back to theaters. And when you thought of going back to theaters with your grandchildren, the first brand you thought of was Boss Baby. So they have completely accomplished the goal. And you know why? Because why? before Sade and Shagun were born. It was just me and Saren. And we, I took her to see Boss Baby, and I didn't know what it was about. I thought there was a baby. <laughs> it is a baby. <laughs> is it not? And no. The, the main character was grown. So oh, I'm just saying, it was weird. You took, I think it was me and Venice. Oh, no. To Omar Mall. This. Yes, to go we did. See Cool World. Cool World. Animated, I, oh, my animated God. Animated films, and you brought your kids to go see this movie. I think it was PG-13. And I'll never forget, I was so embarrassed because you literally, you were covering my eyes, covering my ears. With, you know, <laughs> as, 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 a, as a young boy, that's like your worst nightmare is your mom covering your eyes in, in, in a movie theater. And, and you pulled us out of the theater with you and you were just screaming at the theater owner about how that. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, come on, you know it was skanky. Okay, we're going to take a break. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> 
It is now 10.56 here at WCCO. And as we wrap up tonight, I tell you, this last hour is always my favorite. It is the Mom and Michael Hour. Thank you for sticking and staying with us. And Michael um, and Jonathan, I I found a... um, um, what do you call it? Financial literacy quiz. I'd like to ask you a couple questions. What do you say? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So, Michael, you invest $500 to buy $1,000 worth of stock on margin. The value drops by 50%. You sell it. How much of your $500 investment is left? You said you invest $500 to buy 1,000 shares, correct? $1,000 worth of stock on margin. Yes. The value Ow. drops by 50%. You sell it. How much of your $500 investment is left? So here are the three so, options. Zero, okay. 500 or 250 See, that's the thing. I have invested in stocks. Like I got a little bit into that, and that was fun. But I never learned to like buying things on margin portion of it. Portion of it. But that's the one step past where I got. So my answer is, I don't know. Oh, Jonathan, <laughs> take a guess. No clue. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to say... 250. Is that just a guess or is it educated? It's a guess. guess. I want to say zero. That's what I want to say. So let's see what it says. It says, it didn't even tell me if I got it right. Well, well I, you know, surprise. <laughs> that quiz is actually just a link to the Blair Witch Project. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. You answer the question, just start playing. Like, you heard you haven't seen this movie. Here you go. Right. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, Michael. This has been a blast. Thank you so much, honey. Thank you. We are completely exposed. I love you. And, Jonathan, thank you for everything tonight. Really appreciate it. Good night, everyone, and I hope I see you at Crooners on the 27th of August. Take care. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 